feel like I was just up here. Um, that was a short water break. Cool. All right, well, uh, because of the lengthy announcement, the worship team told me that I was limited on time, so I'm actually going to start my, um, my clock uh, for the message today. All right, so um, we are um, in our second installment of the series, um, Good for Nothing. And uh, this entire series, we're talking about the promises that God has uh, given to us and how we have, in essence, exchanged them for nothing or for things that don't amount to those promises. And so uh, if you have your Bible, I ask that you open them up uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And, uh, of course, if you don't have a Bible, if you've got a device, and as always, it will be available for you on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. And um, this is what you will find. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So for our time together today, I'd like to talk to you about joy everlasting, joy everlasting. So we're going to look at today how, in essence, uh, God has promised us joy and we have exchanged that for essentially momentary happiness. Now, joy and happiness, a lot of people kind of interchange those words, and you can. And I, I may mention last week that our point uh, of this series is not to refute the definitions or how people look at certain terms, but rather to talk to you about the truth in which God wants us to live out these promises. And so when God talks about joy, when joy is given to us in Scripture, it's not given to us or spoken in terms that we should live our lives only for those momentary moments or those momentary periods of happiness and joy. In fact, uh, the great writer C.S. Lewis talks about this. Uh, and C.S. Lewis says, listen, the problem with humanity is that we are too easily pleased, too easily pleased, too, th too many things that aren't worth it excite us. They give us joy. And he's like, no, it's, that's not supposed to be the case with humanity. God has promised us much more, yet we find ourselves pleased by the things that shouldn't even be on our radar. So one of the things that I'd like to share with you, in fact, uh, some facts to clear uh, for what joy is, is that um, joy is not an emotion. It's not an emotion. Um, it is... Um, it's not something that happens from circumstance or chance. Uh, there, there, it can be an emotion that you feel once you know the joy is there. But to say that joy and joy alone is emotion, joy should be present in your life even when you don't feel it emotionally. It's always present even when you're not there. And the term that I like to use or the phrase is basically this. It is quite possible for you to be joy-filled even when you are not joyful. When life isn't on the up and up, when things aren't the way that you hope that they would be, when plans aren't working out the way that you expect them to, you can still have a joy-filled life even though at that moment you are not joyful. Because the reality is, is that joy only comes really from one primary reason. One reason that everybody, every believer who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord, 
Joy comes simply based upon that fact that your life has been rescued by him and you are saved. That's where joy comes from. In knowing that no matter what happens in life, there is one thing that is guaranteed, and that is Jesus Christ has rescued you. He has saved you. Therefore, it should be unshakable and it should be solid because of your faith that is found in Jesus Christ. And this seems to be the message that Peter is trying to convey to the people in which he's writing here. He's talking and trying to encourage these believers because they have been scattered throughout the region and they have felt like they have been uh, ostracized, they've been left alone as though there's nobody there for them. And so Peter's writing this letter, letting them know, listen, I know things are rough right now, but listen, there is something that is happening on the inside of you, even though this moment right now does not seem optimal. I'm trying to tell you that the joy of the Lord is still working inside of your life. And I love it because these people remind us a lot of us. These people that he's speaking to, they have never met Jesus physically. They, they never met the historical Jesus. They weren't there when Peter and the other disciples were following him. They hadn't seen him. They had only heard about him and came to faith based upon the gospel that was preached to them. So I know sometimes when we read scripture, we think, okay, it's different because they were there. Well, the difference between this group here and some of the people that we read in the early in the Gospels is basically the fact that these individuals that we're talking about, they have never seen nor met Jesus physically. And they're living based upon faith, knowing that everything and trusting in the gospel that was preached to them is true. And they're living that. And Peter is, in essence, calling or unearthing that joy that comes from being connected to him out. And so Peter says to them, since he knows that that's where they are, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. So one thing you see throughout this entire chapter is Peter reminding the believers basically that the attitude of the believers, though you may suffer, believers ought never be dashed to the ground with hopelessness. Though life throws you problems. Believers ought never get so down that they don't recognize who holds them. And I can understand that. Makes sense to me because we are humans and things cut us deeply. They affect us. They impact us. And so we all wrestle sometimes with having to really believe or live out what we believe. And perhaps I'm talking to you, just want to know, just by the raising up of your hands, has anybody in here ever had to remind yourself that everything will be okay? Has anybody ever had to encourage yourself because at the moment you just, you don't feel like it? it How's it happened like this? Has somebody, you, you've maybe vented to someone and you're telling them about what's taking place in your life and you're feeling low? And they instantly go, you know, Christians have that default speech. Well, you know, everything is going to be okay. Christ is still on the throne. And they give you all of those. And have you ever said, listen, I know all of that to be true. I, I, listen, I understand that. I just don't feel like it right now. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, I want to let you know before we move any further, that's not an issue. We are humans, and it is perfectly okay for us to feel down. It's perfectly okay for our emotions to be low. That's not what I'm talking about here today. I'm not trying to convince you that you ought not ever be sad, because if you were not sad, you would be a robot and not a human. Only robots don't have emotions. Humans have emotions, and so it's perfectly okay for you to feel it. Sometimes, in fact, only the only way that you can work through something 
is by feeling the pain that happens on the inside of you. That'll be something we'll deal with at a later date. But you have to feel it. You have to go through it. And sometimes you have to encourage yourself just to wake up and keep going. So, listen, I, 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 listen, I, I know what I believe, but I, right now I just, I just have to encourage myself M- multiple days. I have to read scriptures and I have to listen to certain conversations or podcasts or sermons or songs. I have special songs that I queue up whenever I'm feeling down. They're, that's perfectly all right for you to be there. That's not what I'm talking about today. Because you can find yourself in those moments and still have the joy of the Lord running on the inside of you. Because when you're, when you're joy-filled, even when you, when you feel low, when your emotions aren't high, what's true is that the Lord is still keeping you. And in your lowest moments, most believers still recognize that. So I think about Peter and this group that he's talking about, this chaotic time that they're experiencing. It's not Christianity like we have it today, like we have it in the States. These, these people had to live underground because they were fearful of being persecuted and, and people imprisoning them and maybe even killing them at times. And so it was a very chaotic moment for them. And so Peter was trying to tell them, listen, I know that you're forced to live in exile and in hiding, but I want you to know that on the inside of you there is an inexpressible and glorious joy that exists. And so he's talking, and it's like, well, well, how was that possible? How was it possible with all the dysfunction, with all the problems that are taking place, how was there still an inexpressible and glorious joy that's there? Well, it's right here in the Scripture, and before we go to the top, the answer, I'm going to go ahead and cheat and move to the ending. The answer is in the final part of verse 9. What you'll see is this. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice the language that Peter uses there. He says that you are receiving the end result of your faith. The end result of your faith, not that you will receive or perhaps you might receive or that you can receive. Peter says you are receiving the end result of the salvation of your souls. And the salvation of your souls right there, people, is what is, the, what is foundational for joy in all of our lives. Salvation exists, and because salvation exists, there is a foundation for joy that keeps us no matter what's happening on the inside of our lives. So I like this Chip Ingram, a great writer. He says this, because that is to be true, every believer ought to live from a posture of victory. Since I know the ending of the story, that's why we went to the end. Since I know the ending of the story, it is then impossible for me to lead a life of hopelessness because I know how the story ends. All right, maybe y'all don't get it. Maybe y'all don't get it. I I saw this perfectly played out last week. Last week was Easter, and we had some friends and family over uh, for Easter dinner. Now, listen, for my vanilla brothers and sisters, let me let you in on a secret. Anytime chocolate folk gather... There's always one game that will be played. Just one game, one game. You may play categories. You may play charades. Y'all have a variety of games. I like that. Y'all do different things. There's one game that's going to be played. Usually it happens at the dinner table, and it's spades. Yeah. Every time, chocolate, where are the cards? And every, every black family got a deck of cards. Every, every, and the jokers have words written on them. Every, every chocolate family has that going on. We're playing space. We're at the, at the dinner table, and it's me. And my partner uh, was Veronica, who was a member here. Miss Veronica and I, we're on teams, and we're there. We're down to the last hand. We're hoping that we are going to win the game, 
But this last hand isn't looking so hard, look, looking so good. And so we're, we're playing, and, and I'm wondering how things are going to work out. I'm nervous because we're down to the last card, the last book, and I know for a fact my card's not going to win. Our opponents are overjoyed because they think that they've got us because if we don't make the books that we, we set out, we can't win the game. I'm nervous. They're excited. But I look across the table and I see a glimmer of hope in my partner's eyes. So the last card goes down. She so happens to be the final card that goes down. And good Lord Almighty, she's got the winning card. It's called the trump card. And so while I'm nervous, the enemy is overjoyed because the enemy thinks that they have the victory. Miss Veronica has hope because she knows that she's got something foundational to our win. There's something existing in her hand, something she's holding that had joy on her eyes even we were, when we were against the ropes. That's the way the believers ought to live each and every day. There ought to be a proverbial trump card on the inside of your hearts that no matter what's happening on the inside of your lives, you know that just because my money is low, just because my friends are gone, just because death has happened in my family, just because I'm having issues with my marriage, just because my job isn't working out, I know that I hold the trump card, which is Jesus Christ, the salvation of my soul. And no matter how well or how difficult things get, I know that the Lord is with me at all times. That should be the posture of believers. Is our world crazy? Well, yes, it is. Is this political season chaotic and crazy and dysfunctional? Why, of course it is. Are there problems in our neighborhoods? Is there too much death in our community? Yes, there is. But Christ is on the throne. And because he is on the throne, even though I see pain and suffering, heartache all throughout our world, I know that Jesus is coming soon and Jesus will heal the problems in the world. And for that reason and that reason alone, joy overflows on the inside of my heart. Just because the situation isn't great. Even when you are not joyful, when you grieve, be joy-filled because you know that the Lord is there. And so that takes us back to verse 8. And listen to what Peter says. Peter says basically this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And I love this. We know that the source of our joy comes from him. But there are two things that we see here that I want to tell you, then I'll take my seat that I see there. Is the first thing is this, let your past remind you. Let your past remind you. We see that when he says, Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Seen. That, that, that it's past tense. You have not seen him. Even though you have not seen him, you love him. What Peter is pointing to him and hoping to bring back and unearth on the inside of the Christians, the believers there is, listen, there was a time. There was a time then where you did not see Jesus, where you did not know him. But Jesus did something in your life. He showed something. He showed up for you. There was something done. The gospel opened up your heart. The Holy Spirit filled you. You have not seen him. You love him, and you love him because he showed up for you. Well, it's the same thing for all of us. Even though we have not seen him, all of us have a past reference that we can always grab a hold to whenever life seems to throw us lemons. There's always something that we can reach back and we can remember, yeah, today may not be the day. But I remember when. I remember when I was down before. I remember when this happened before. And I remember when the Lord showed up for me. And when he did, he turned things around for me. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Here's what the enemy loves to do. The enemy loves to put us in a compromising situation, hoping that we'll forget about what the Lord has done. Because the strength that we have, that we have to hold on to, comes from the fact that we recognize and we remember when the Lord has been present in our lives. And we oftentimes get in a place where we forget about what he's done. And so you'll get in a position today. The Lord showed up just yesterday. You'll get in a position today. You'll begin to question whether or not the Lord even exists because of today, forgetting what the Lord did yesterday. What you have to do on a regular basis It's reach back in the history, reach back in your own personal journey, your own personal story, and remember what the Lord has done to you. Let the past remind you about how good the Lord is. The second thing is this, don't let the present confine you. Don't let the present confine you. And he says this, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You haven't seen him and you love him. Because he's proven. You don't see him now, yet you believe in him. Because the Lord is present even when he doesn't seem near. So what we have to do is learn to trust him even when we can't trace him. And the thing is, all of this comes from verse 9. Because you know what he's done for your life. The salvation of your souls. It starts there. And if that's the foundation of all things, then your past story, the past periods when he's shown up for you, you can always pull back up. And you can never be jailed. You can never be confined by today because you know that if he showed up before, he'll show up again. I, I, I heard about this uh, plainly. Um, I, I read about um, a guy, a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Um, in 1871 in Chicago, uh, Chicago had the, the greatest fire in history. The reason that Chicago is called the second city is because it literally had to be rebuilt after this fire. 100,000 people on that date went homeless. That same year, this guy, Horatio Spafford, who was a businessman, lost his four-year-old son to pneumonia. And uh, it hit his family pretty hard. He, he had that one son. He had four girls and his wife. Two years later, they're still trying to recover from the loss of his son. Horatio figured he's been working hard for two years. He needs to take his family on a vacation. And so he was a great friend, a good friends with the great evangelist uh, D.L. Moody of that day. And so the story is told that Horatio Spafford is taking his family. And they're going to hop a ship on the East Coast at New York, and they're going to travel to England so that they can participate in one of D.L. Moody's great uh, crusades so they can be reju- rejuvenated and energized and new life can be spoken into his family. As they're about to uh, load the ship, Horatio was called to an important business meeting. He couldn't go with his family, and so he kisses his wife and his four daughters. He says that I'll join you soon. And something happens. They, they go away in a couple of days and night and see the ship that Mrs. Spafford and their four baby girls was riding collided with an iron sailing vessel. And it collided, and the entire ship sank. A little while longer, Mrs. Spafford received a message from his wife, for she was found clinging to a piece of the wreckage, and she was rescued. And her letter to her husband simply said this, saved alone. 
They lost all four of their baby girls. Wanting to rush to his wife's side, Mrs. Spafford loaded the first ship that he could so he could head over to England. And as he was there, the first night he was really restless. In fact, for most nights he was restless. And one evening he got up and he goes out to the ship's bow and he's there and he's just staring out. And the captain calls him to the side. And the captain says, I believe, sir, here's the spot where your family ship collided with that vessel. Mrs. Spafford, overwhelmed, of course, not being able to sleep after experiencing that and thinking about the loss of his baby girls, thinking about how his wife has suffered. The story is told that he goes to his room and um, he tries to go to sleep and he cannot. And he prays and these words came to his mind. Perhaps you're familiar with them. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well. Y'all know that song? Let's see if you can sing it with me. It is well. Oh, nobody knows the follow-up. With my, with my soul, it is well, it is. <laughs> Y'all so nervous to sing. Mrs. Spafford could only sing that song after losing five children within two years. Because the joy of the Lord lived deeply inside of his heart. That when tragedy came to him almost regularly, he still remembered the foundation of his story was not that, but the salvation of his soul that comes from his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, my mission was not to tell you how to have joy. It was to inform you that even when you don't feel like it, it still exists. That oftentimes when you don't feel joyful, sometimes you just need to pray and ask God to show you what it looks like to lead a life that is joy-filled. Where you're trusting Him at every turn. Where when you're discouraged, when you're down, when problems come back to back as they do in this life, to know that even in those moments, you still have joy. And not only do you still have joy, but nobody can take your joy away. No situation, no problem, no pain, no finances, no struggle, no storm. Your joy can never die because Christ is forever on the throne. And since he is forever on the throne, life is yours. And not only is life is yours, we talked about last week, where it connects, you have the abundant life and joy exists there. God wants you to call on that. The goal, the reason that, that he came was so that we could experience him here. And I'll tell this last illustration and we'll be done. Um, I um, read about um, Australia. Never been there. I hope to go there one day. And... Um, from my understanding, there's something strangely familiar 
about Australia with another country that when you go to Australia, um, it resembles England tremendously. Uh, the same customs, they have tea time like England. A lot of the same language they use. So I'm reading and I'm asking myself, well, how is it that this aboriginal culture seems to resemble this nation so far away? Well, if you know your history, you know why. Some hundred years ago, people from England traveled to Australia and they did what we know as colonized it. And because they did, the customs of one nation is now that of another because that nation was transformed by the presence of the colonizers. Well, when we think about life here and so many struggles, I often hear people say, Lord, come now. I can't take this word anymore. I think that's wrong. I think that's not what he called us for. Because Jesus wrapped himself in the flesh and he came to colonize our hearts so that we can have an expression of heaven on earth. So our world ought to look something like the world that he traveled to or came from because he came to transform us. Which says two things. When you meet Jesus, you should be transformed. And not only should you be transformed, you ought to be transforming. That's what we're called to do, to bring heaven on earth.